Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you. Okay, so welcome everybody to Let Me Introduce You, a very special spooky Halloween episode. I know. (laughs) Uh, So for those of you who might not know, we are a podcast where three friends who met in film school almost 20 years ago uh, introduce each other to movies that at least one of us has not seen Um, because in the true spirit of friendship, the three of us have extremely wild different different tastes in what we enjoy, what movies we watch. So we introduce each other to Manu movies, break them down, yell at each other for our differences and for <laughs> hating the movies that we get introduced to. Lovingly um, yell. Lovingly, loving, yell, lovingly yell. So uh, I am joined by my two wonderful co-hosts. We've got Graham. Hello. And Ms. Ashley. Hey, y'all. And so, like I said, we have a very special episode for you today. Today, we are joined by a special effects artist. Uh, He owns his own shop called Monster in My Closet. We have Mr. Jeremy Sullivan here. Howdy. How are you? Hi. Jeremy. Nice to see you, Katie. Nice to meet the rest of you. Nice to meet you, too. So, Jeremy has worked uh, special effects, makeup on... A litany of amazing, amazing films. Uh, he got his Emmy nomination for Boardwalk Empire. Uh, he won the Southampton International Film Festival for Dark Exorcism, along with Lisa Forrest. That was news to me. That's neat. <laughs> you won Did that. you know? Did you know? <laughs> uh, he's also worked on The Blacklist, Men in Black 3, Gotham, Elementary, Royal Pains, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Daredevil, Punisher, Jessica Jones, Shazam, The King of Staten Island, Luke Cage, and and so many, many more. So, Jeremy, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to give kind of a a background on on like how you got into special effects makeup or like, you know, what what exactly that means for people who might not know what special effects makeup is. Any anything um, like that? Just sure, absolutely. Uh, I am a prosthetic makeup artist. It's something I've wanted to do since I was maybe seven or eight years old. Uh, it was the one-two punch of Return of the Jedi and Ghostbusters that got me hooked. And there were these amazing TV specials back in the day. Um, and I, you know, it's something I always wanted to do. I used to decorate the house for Halloween. You know, my parents' house just with whatever I could find. That tradition, you know, carried on for the next few decades. Yeah, you still do. You throw like epic, epic Halloween parties now. Not, not in the last couple of years, but yeah. yes. Yes. <laughs> Pre-COVID. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not quite the same on Zoom, so. <laughs> no, sadly not. But um, I went to, you know, I, I played around as best I could at home. And finally, I went to college for it at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh and got a, uh, a solid bead on how to do it. Uh, enough so to get me into a shop as an intern. Started there, opened my own shop, and just slowly but steadily kept going and going and snowballing upwards into a you know a career I'm pretty happy with these days. Yes, it's it's quite the impressive career. So for listeners at home, the reason Jeremy and I know each other is he was 
kind enough to take on a very green <laughs> college student as an intern uh, at his special effects shop in 2005. And we worked together on a couple of films that I still get pretty good stories out of to this day, like, you know, 15 There were a couple of good ones later. there, yeah. Yeah, we worked on uh, Crazy Eights, which I mm -hmm. uh, was an incredible like experience to be a part of because you brought me on set for that one. Um, yep. and so, Maryland, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you and I drove down there and like, we set up shop in that weird little like garage, uh, yeah. at the abandoned insane asylum, um, in Maryland. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. and yeah, crazy eights was, um, with Tracy Lords and Frank, uh, Whalen and Whalen. Yeah. 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 Oh, and, sure. um, Gabrielle, uh, oh shoot. What was her last name? Anwar. Yes. Yes. Cutting uh, edge, Myers right? was in that one. <laughs> uh, that had a good cast for a you know for a little indie horror film. That was a solid uh, solid ensemble. Yeah, and and uh, I mean I don't know. Do you do you want to like some of the pieces that that you allowed me to even go near while you were working on them? I uh, like. It was like the like the jaw for so the monster in that movie is this uh, this woman who like she got left behind in a uh, it was this group of kids that didn't remember being a part of uh, an orphanage when they were growing up and one of them got left behind and the one that got left behind was like left in a trunk and um, she was like I this like oh dude I remember <laughs> it I remember it like I haven't even watched that movie in years. But uh, like, I remember like the painting on like her nails and she had this like gauze over her head. Mm -hmm. And I remember like one of the people died. Uh, Gabrielle died because she like pulls her own jaw off. And so <sighs> you, had, you had to design like the jaw and and like how to do like, how do you even. Yeah. When, when you get hired for uh, a project, like how do you even go about thinking like, OK, these are this is what I need. How do you build this? How do you structure this? How do you how do you do that? Because you were the head of a lot of these projects that you've worked on? Um, it depends on the size of the project, actually. You know, those were small movies, so you're thinking within a much more confined budget, what can you do with a little? Um, that particular one was a pretty simple gag, which relied heavily on working with the DP to light it properly, to sell the illusion that her actual jaw was missing. We just kind of painted it black. She had some pieces surrounding the outside of her jaw, and I stuck a a tongue on her chin to give the illusion that, you know, it was just great hanging down. There were some fake teeth in the mix. Um, but really it was, you know, her just lowering her head and selling the illusion herself. Um, that was a pretty simple trick, all things considered. That was an awesome one. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I know Tracy Lord, she like rips, rips her own eyes out or, or the monster. Yeah, rips that her one eyes we had out. To do, yeah. Yeah. We had to do a full head for that one, which was a trick since she had an allergic reaction to the material that we did life casting, life casting with. Oh, so yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, we were, we were lucky enough to work on that one. We worked on this other one called skinned alive. Um, yeah, my buddy, my, my buddy, Josh, one of his many, you know, micro budgeted films, you know, crazy eights was a, was a Hollywood blockbuster comparatively speaking. <laughs> <laughs> but skinned alive, like I forget what it's original title, uh, eat your heart eat, out. Eat your heart out. Yeah. That, was that a was much the better title. I totally agree. Uh, I always say it was about cannibalistic hookers. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's the log line right there. Yeah, and uh, I remember you had me because there was like a butt that you had me like stippling skin <laughs> on. It was I was like right. working on this butt for hours because there was like a teeth mark 
in it. Yeah, yeah. And you had me. You're like, Katie, sti- stipple this butt. And I'm like, okay, I'll do like, that. Get sure. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I'll get right up, right up in there. Um, I remember that completely. <laughs> but um, so Jeremy um, picked today's movie. He picked 1992's Candyman. Uh, so Jeremy, why did you pick Candyman? Because it has the dubious honor of being one of maybe two horror movies I've ever seen that just scared the shit out of me. Really? Uh, like <laughs> legitimately, thoroughly, and lasting to the point that, you know, I was talking to my kids about doing this and my daughter, she's 12 and she's gotten really into horror lately. I'm talking about the movie and she goes, oh, did you ever do it in the in the mirror? Did you ever say his name five times? And I was like, nope, not. I'm 43 years old. I still would not do it. My seven-year-old looked in the mirror, does it immediately. Like, nope, I'm out of here. <laughs> like just it, for whatever reason, that movie just got me. I, I 1992, so I was 13, 14 years old when it came out, and it just stuck with me. Like I, I couldn't shake it. It hit me something fierce. Ah, oh, I love that. I'm love curious that. what the other one is. The yeah. other movie that's uh, scary. Pet Cemetery. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. That's such a good. Yeah. The the when he cut when Gage cuts yeah. the tendon yeah. on the heel, <gasps> like that's always <laughs> the one. It was mostly Zelda, though. For whatever reason, Zelda got me. Like the Zelda's rest, creepy didn't... as fuck. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, we're honored that you're going to dive into your psyche and talk about this movie. <laughs> Suffer through it. <laughs> um. So, Graham, if you would, uh, if you would do the honor of giving us the box office. Yeah. So this opened October sixteenth, uh, nineteen ninety-two. So almost. 30 years ago <laughs> and it, it opened at number four that weekend with 5.4 million dollars with tristar pictures it was a low budget film uh, made for about eight million dollars ended up turning um a profit with 25.8 million um other things that opened that weekend was consenting adults with kevin klein and mary elizabeth mostra antonio anyone nope okay <laughs> but also opened um around that time was was one of the only Steven Seagal movies that made money, which was Under Siege. And that's right, yeah. against Steven Seagal yes. in a row. The second, yes. <laughs> Last of the Mohicans, amazing. And of course, the classic, The Mighty Ducks, also around. Oh, yes. Around that what time. up, Mighty Ducks, Minnesota? <laughs> yes. So See, that's but, what I was watching in 92. Yes, was that's what Ducks. I was watching. Um, we were eight. But yeah, this, this made a, a good profit uh, back in the day. Awesome. So uh, for those of us, or who are listening, who maybe have never seen it or have only heard of the 2021 remake that just came out. Jeremy, would you give a little uh, synopsis of what sure. this movie's about? I'm definitely not reading off paper here. Um, <laughs> it's better that way. That's what I it's better to be prepared, so, right, yeah. Ashley? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't pull an Ashley. <laughs> Released in 1992, directed by Bernard Rose and based on a Clive Barker story, The Forbidden, from his Books of Blood series, Candyman became one of the definitive horror icons of the 1990s. Uh, Leaving behind the mindless slaughter of his fellow horror pals, Jason and Freddy, Candyman, both the character and the film itself, had a more calculated purpose and a serious sense of social awareness, something severely lacking in the horror movies of the 1980s. The movie tells the story of a graduate student, Helen Lyle, as she researches and discovers the horrifying truth behind the Chicago-based Candyman urban legend. Thinking it's just a story to scare people following a series of grisly attacks in and around the Cabrini Green projects, Helen digs deeper and winds up assaulted by an all-too-real man claiming Candyman's name. With the criminal locked up, the community can breathe a bit easier, but Helen's involvement with the legend is just beginning. The real specter of Candyman, real name Daniel Robitaille, is uh, angry that Helen has tarnished his legend 
with the arrest, and he begins to haunt Helen and drags her into madness, framing her at the center of a series of increasingly horrific attacks he has committed. It starts with Helen at the violent scene of an abducted baby and continues to the horrific murder of her best friend in her own apartment. We, the audience, know her innocence, but everyone else believes her to be completely guilty, including her husband. Ultimately, Helen is admitted to a psychiatric hospital and heavily medicated. A month passes, and with Helen facing a trial for murder, Candyman kills her doctor and breaks her free. She runs home to discover her husband has been sleeping with one of his students and moving on with his life. With nothing left to lose, Helen trades her life for the life of the abducted baby Candyman has been keeping alive, promising to be his victim and to live forever in urban legend infamy. Candyman hides the baby in the belly of a huge bonfire pyre in Cabrini Green. Helen goes to rescue the baby, but Candyman betrays her and plans to take them both with him in the flames. Helen escapes with baby Anthony, saving him, but succumbs to her burns, fulfilling Candyman's lovelorn desire for her to become part of his legend, taking his place when her name is spoken five times into a mirror. The end. The end. Well Perfect. Done. That was yeah, great. Damn. Damn, you know what? That funny. one bit with the with the bonfire is the only part of the movie that took me out for a second and kind of pissed me off because <laughs> she's there at the project. She says, "Oh, you guys setting up a bonfire?" He's like, "Yeah, for a party." And then it's a month later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. That does bother me too. Well, you gotta get permits I mean, for yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't Water enough uh, material to burn yet. So right. Just right. <laughs> so. Uh, Graham and Ashley, you neither of you had seen this movie before, right? Incorrect. I had seen it. Recently. Oh, okay. So then yes. I'm going to start with Graham and see what he thought oh. about it. I've also seen seen the 2021. Well, Ashley, which is one up in me left and right. Yeah, what up, Graham? Look at me doing stuff and going to movies and shit. Well, well. <laughs> so I I only knew about Candyman from saying the name in the mirror, which I would never ever do. Ever, ever, ever. I mean, I agree with you, Jeremy. I would not even do it today. <laughs> uh, but it was a movie that I know my sisters would watch at their slumber parties, and they would always threaten to call Candyman um, to scare me to like do their dishes. Um, so, <laughs> so, and I know that the, the remake, not the remake, kind of like a, a sequel, a, yeah, a sequel, you know, extension of of that was coming out this year with Nikita Costa, but. I didn't know anything about it. I thought I, I was very surprised by the whole plot of like her basically being framed for all these murders. When that started, I had, did not see that coming at all in this. Um, for a person who doesn't also like horror, I appreciated that the gore was all off screen. Yeah. Um, and, and you just saw the aftermath. That was something that I could handle. (laughs) Um, And I was surprised also for a film said, you know, 30 years ago to talk about race in the way that it does. I I was surprised by that. Um, I'm sure we'll probably get into. Yeah. Um, Men are bastards. Uh, <laughs> I know, Trevor on, sucks. Trevor sucks, and I, I, I thought the ending of him calling her in the mirror, her showing up, her killing him, and then framing the mistress with basically, basically treating the mistress like what happened to her. I loved that ending shot. Um, <laughs> and I think Katie, I, mean, I didn't realize this was a, a Clive Barker story. And I, I did see a lot of similarities to our second episode we did, which was Hellraiser, to to this story with with the, the slow build of the tension um, and the action. How a lot of things happen during the daytime, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which which is always something that I I never expect in a horror film to to 
have it because you we have talked about this before in other episodes how when you're when it's the sunlight outside you feel safe but basically the first time we we see Candyman in a garage during the day we usually see those kinds of scenes at night um it made the scene feel more like oh god like anything could happen in this story so all in all i i was pleasantly surprised by this i thought virginia madsen was great love tony dodd in this um I really, really enjoyed this. <gasps> Yay! Yeah. Shockingly. I also watched yeah. it at 1 p.m. in the afternoon, so I could... <laughs> when anything could happen. When anything could happen. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Ashley, what about you? Uh, I mean, if you'd seen this before, what would you think about, like, you know, now watching it recently and then having seen the the new one that just came out? Yeah, I'm definitely uh, right there with you, Jeremy. Like, you don't fucking say this in the mirror, all right? You don't say any of the things in the mirror, okay? Just, like, just no don't have Mary, faith. No Candyman. No, no, none of that. Um, I only saw this in the last couple of years because Bob, my fiance, is really into horror. Um, and I think I was at that cuspy age, you know, I was eight years old when it came out. So I was like, oh, we didn't really watch it. And my older brother um, is super into horror. And I think it was probably one of those things where he like maybe protected me a little bit of like, no, don't watch this because you're going to be terrified. Um, yeah, it was really well done. Like I just rewatched it again today because I wanted it to be fresh. Um, and I was babysitting my nephews. And so the quote scary movie we watched last night was clue. So um, <laughs> speaking of action, awesome. episode three, episode three of our yes. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It was terrifying. It felt so real and like it could it could actually happen. Um, and that just, anytime something is a little bit too real, it scares the shit out of me because my imagination just runs away with it. And I think it speaks to how well the film was done. Um, and just all of the pieces that were going together that you can have the scary pieces happen during the day and still scare the crap out of you. Right? Like I'm, 37 years old I am still scared of the dark because there's that unknown and you don't know what's gonna happen but to scare the shit out of me when the light like when I can see it oh my god that just it just fucks with you right and it was it's you know the way that it's filmed and it's the performances and it's so much of that sound design and music that just builds that tension and I don't, I, this time I didn't want to get too scared, even though I was watching it during the day. So I watched it on my iPad instead of, we have like a big projector screen in our dark basement. I was like, I'm going to get too scared. Um, And still watching it through this like 12 inch screen, I was still kind of like peeking around my shoulder. Like, it's fine. I would just like stop it occasionally be like, oh, I need to do this other thing because there's just (laughs) something about, it just gets into that piece of your psyche and feels so real. And even though I knew, you know, like there were certain pieces that were, that made you realize like, oh yeah, this is happening in 1992, right? Like everyone's smoking and looking at (laughs) like the fashion or whatever. It still carried through the, it just, it made me feel like it could still happen now. And not even because I'd seen the 2021 version, but just seeing this made it feel, I don't know, it just felt so fucking real and terrifying. (laughs) So that's actually something I want to talk about a little bit, too. Um, this movie, you know, doesn't have too many prosthetics in it. It's got like a couple and stuff. But, you know, it's it's a lot of the a lot of the stuff that you see is off screen. Like you see a couple like, you know, a couple of the hook stuff, but it still sticks in your head. So I was going to ask Jeremy, like, first of all, if you could give us a primer on what 
special effects makeup is in, in, in comparison to like, you know, a lot of things right now these days do like computer effects or optical effects or like, so, because I've, I've had to answer this question on the podcast before and I vamp and, and it sort of sounds right, <laughs> but like what constitutes practical special effects, what practical, uh, special effects as, as like a filmmaker, do you see in this movie? And does that like take you out of it? Does it pull you into it? Um, so yeah, I would love to know, uh, the, the expert opinion on that. <laughs> Um, for me, it covers anything from, you know, a, a minor laceration on someone's cheek all the way to a full body head to toe creature suit uh, and everything in between from old age makeups to fake tattoos covering someone's back to gunshots to working in tandem with visual effects and, you know, painting things for green screen like that jaw we were talking about earlier. Nowadays, that would be a completely different makeup. I would do that green painting out the jaw. And I would do surrounding portions and VFX would fill in the middle um, and have a nice uh, nice uh, pairing of the two. You know, every tool in the toolbox has its place sort of thing. Um, but yeah, everything that gets built up onto an actor to create some kind of impact on as to what's happened or the character or monster they're playing. Um, Candyman actually had a couple beautifully invisible effects that... I was sure, having not seen that movie in at least a couple decades, we're going to read as immediately, oh, that's so, you know, that's so immediately apparent. But there is a gorgeous puppet head of him at the end uh, when when he when he's his hitting Helen with the mouthful of bees that it was it was stunning. I was blown away by how proper it still looked. You know, you watch a lot of these movies from the 80s and 90s and the uh, the practical effects are immediately evident. Uh, but that head at the end really held up, you know, some of the rest of it, maybe not as much here and there, but all shot very effectively anyway. But yeah, that, that puppet head filled with bees was amazing, even though they Wait, did so cover. Yeah. You're saying, so like I looked at that and I was like, how did they get all those bees in Tony Todd's no, mouth same, and same. not freak it out? So you're saying that was, com that was like com a complete construction. Yeah. I mean, they also, he had a very lucrative deal with production Tony Todd to put actual bees all over him because some of those shots are Tony Todd with bees covering him. And I think he had a deal where he got like a thousand dollars per bee sting. Some oh, absurd thing. I'd be like, kind of, <laughs> you know, yeah, he said, just shakes around a little bit. Yeah. You know, like a new car. Um, yeah, he wound up getting uh, $23,000 because he got 23 bee stings. No shit. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Good thing he's not allergic. Uh, Virginia Madsen is allergic. So, oh yeah. So, uh, you know, when she was cast, she was like, well, she was she was a second casting because the original actress um, was pregnant and couldn't do it. Who was uh, it? The, the wife, uh, I think it was the wife of um, the director, Bernard Rose's wife. Okay. Um, but, yeah, she was pregnant, so she she couldn't do it. And so they cast Virginia and then she was like, oh, well, there's bees. I can't do it. I'm, I'm highly, highly allergic. So they actually tested her, like Venom tested her. And they're like, okay, so you're allergic to wasps. And the way that they were able to get her is they were actually uh, honeybees that were specifically bred for this movie. And uh, they used the baby ones because I guess their stings aren't as mm. lethal. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a bit of that. Uh, they used uh, at some point they used hypnosis on, on Virginia during the oh. Candyman scenes. Um, 
and she she wound up feeling comfortable with that. So they didn't use it a lot, but they did use it in some of the scenes. Uh, oh. But yeah, yeah, it's just like uh, in my head, I was thinking I'm like today, those would probably be real bees. But if it's a low budget movie, would they still use real bees or would mm. they use like different type of effect? I don't know. I know I can't imagine a world where today any of it would be real bees, except right. for maybe some some you know, B footage, some B roll footage that that would just all be okay. Well, B, we're just going to do that. Footage. But a B roll. <laughs> I definitely intended that. Fun. Um, I know every time I hear B my victim, I'm like, <laughs> didn't even catch that while they were watching. I it did not either. I was too scared. <laughs> See, this is the kind of brain you need to have when you watch all this stuff all the time. Uh, well, I mean, like, like, let's talk a little bit about uh, the effects on, on this movie, too. I mean, they were done by what uh, Dave Keen, Bob Keen, both of them. Um, yeah. And um, Gary, Gary Tunicliffe was in there, who, you know, also has a lot of history with the Hellraiser franchise. Uh, he even directed one of the later editions. Um, who else was that? A buddy of mine, Dave Elsie, I was happy to see in the credits. It's an insanely brilliant uh, UK based artist. Um, the rest of the names I wasn't familiar with, but you know, still a, still a good, good crew there. Yeah. I was looking them up and I'm like, uh, I think uh, Bob Keen got the, the, the title card in the beginning as the, the effects. Mm. And I was like, okay, let's look up this guy. He's worked on some amazing, he did like animatronics for the never ending story, which is one of my mm. all time favorite childhood movies. Absolutely. Uh, he worked on event horizon night breed. <laughs> Um, he also had, um, uncredited work on Star Wars, New Hope and Jedi. And he also worked on Hellraiser three, uh, and Dave did, uh, creature effects on aliens. He also did some stuff on golden eye tomorrow never dies. The mummy. Um, it was also interesting to see, like, there's another effects artist, Mark Coulier. Um, yes, yes. I, I, any I relation to Dave, Dave Coulier? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, no. but he's an Oscar winner for, uh, best makeup for the iron lady and the grand Budapest hotel. Okay. Um, he also worked on a bunch of Harry Potter movies and event horizon mm-hmm. and, uh, Hellraiser two and Nightbreed. So I like seeing, I mean, is this something, Jeremy, you find in the industry a lot where like a lot of the mega guys are like seem to have a team or like they all work on a lot of the same movies? I mean, it was just, this is a UK based film and it was just a smaller industry over there. So yeah, um, these big prosthetic films called in the same group of people each time and, you know, one would be able to do it and then they'd bring in their own crew and that's how it slowly grew and pre-branched off into where it is today where, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds if not thousands so this was based on uh you know clive barker's story um which was from books of blood and i graham you mentioned like like as we were watching there were a lot of similarities between this and between hellraiser right Mm -hmm. uh what were some of the things that you noticed for me it was it was this like slow build because in hellraiser i remember i was talking i was like i thought there was going to be like more like horror consistently throughout but there was similar to, to Hellraiser and, and with Candyman, it's that there's a, there's a sense of dread throughout most of the film because you, you don't really know what's going to happen. And then the action starts picking up maybe like 45 minutes, an hour in it actually looked and it was like 50 minutes in was when the first like mur- her framed murder happened mm-hmm. in this movie. And which is similar. Cause like that kind of felt like 
how long we waited in Hellraiser for like some like big action <laughs> to happen. Not that it was a bad thing to wait, I did, but I think it helped build the the tension in the film. Um, and then and then as I mentioned earlier, just like the daytime horror um, yeah. was, was was what I what I felt very similar. I mean, it was a rarity. It totally issued the. Uh... The, the stereotypical, you know, opening kill of a horror movie that was so, so prevalent where like, you've got to grab your audience. Like it had a lot of faith in the audience to be engaged in this film just of its own accord based on the story and the characters, because, you know, they didn't feel that need to hear some super graphic death right at the top of the film to hook you and bring you another pun uh, to, to, to grab you and get you in. Um, yeah. It just, it completely relied on the story itself, which was such a rarity and you know the the franchise kind of veered off with the the subsequent sequels into more traditional horror movie fare mm -hmm. but that first one they they really had a lot of faith in the story which i just have so much respect for the scene where the professor is telling the story of Candyman was like riveting because they kept mm -hmm. first of all i think virginia madsen was fantastic at this yes. and and they kept the camera on her as she's hearing this version and it was just like you saw like the horror in her eyes of hearing this story and I just thought that was so so effective and I, I to point Jeremy like really reeled you in to to this like character that people who've, who've watched this movie have never heard of before yeah I mean like Jeremy you're right they they open it in you know your classic babysitter scene having a boyfriend come over and like you know they're gonna have sex and like it's a it's a it's the classic setup and then you don't see the kills at all. Like you don't see right. anything. Um, and yeah, that's, that's really cool. I was, I was also noticing how, like for me, a lot of the Hellraiser similarities are, and maybe this is a Clive Barker thing, but like, it's all about like the romance of death mm -hmm. and like, you know, I, um, Candyman is, is built almost as like this romantic villain. Like he draws you in almost like a, 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 a black Dracula um, you know, and, and, uh, it's, it, he's built it up as like this religious type of experience. You know, if he kills Helen and, and it'll, it'll garner more followers, very similar to, um, you know, what the Cenobites want to do and, and, and how Pinhead is, is depicted, um, just like that romance of pain. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. watching it and I was like, oh, that's true. That's really funny. I mean, yeah, it's hilarious. Katie. My Parker's got <laughs> some issues so well yes he does <laughs> when he said the pain will be exquisite i mean that's that immediately makes you think of hellraiser yes yes exactly frankly i don't need pain in my romance <laughs> i mean who doesn't like a little consensual pain in your <laughs> in your sex life right you know just twist it a little you know <laughs> you know what i really appreciate jeremy are you and Jeremy Grammer, you're talking about how like there's not that kill right away. Mm -hmm. um, I really appreciate how this is essentially taking two previous urban legends, right? Bloody Mary and like the man with the hook or whatever, and turning it into this new urban legend. And I think they're really, especially in the United States um, and folks who just like aren't religious or whatever, like that feels the idea of legend and that common like mythology and folktale feels like that is what can draw us all together for, for these other things. Like, you know, obviously other countries have these types of stories, but, but to feel like in the United States, that feels like such an amalgam of so many folks that we can have something new to draw us in. Um, I don't know. That just, 
that I was just studying um, like folktales and fables for graduate school. And so being able to see this, just, just seeing that in a whole new light. Um, yeah. It's, it's creepy and great. I totally appreciate when people can do really great special effects and really great, like murders and most like practical special effects still just like blow me away. But when you can tell a really great story and scare people just through that tension, like that just, that takes it to a whole nother level for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he, he was really the first horror movie icon that you had any sense of empathy for. I mean, Freddie was a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a feel like child murderer. Jason was, was, I mean, I guess you could have a little empathy for Jason. <laughs> yeah, but what about you know, the boys? Yeah, he, he drowned, sorry. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they didn't give you any backstory to really feel bad for him. He was a monster from the first time you meet him. Whereas, you know, Candyman, they really build up as he, he was... He was a victim, like all he was. He fell in love, and like that was his his horrible crime. Um, that was that was a rarity. That was definitely a rarity. I I, I really like that. I like that too. Yeah. The the even though he was a total dickhead, uh, Trevor the <laughs> professor had had a, a clever thing where he was like, you know, these these are moral, our modern oral folk tales, and it's the unconscious mm-hmm. fears of modern society. And I was like, okay, you made a good point there. Yeah. You get one. Um, if I remember correctly, I think he is the first victim of the the sequel, just because oh, yeah? he's the only familiar face left standing. So, but he died in the he died at the yeah. end of this one. Oh, not Trevor. I'm sorry. The the other professor, the long haired. <gasps> oh, oh, the British guy. The, yeah, the, the, condes- the condescending dude. Yes, the very condescending that professor. Guy. The, you don't know the legend. Yeah, oh, how are you going to bury me then? <laughs> oh, you silly woman! Let me mention to you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it 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 starts. It, it calls to mind like horror as as like a reflection of the time of the horror films that are made. So like you know, when you look at like the the horror films in the nineteen fifties, and it's how it's like you know it's reflecting the fear of the scientific threats through like unknown monsters like them or Godzilla or giant behemoth or whatever. Um, and then how it how it goes like the seventies, reflecting like you youth counterculture with Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Hills Have Eyes or whatever. Um, Consumerism and Dawn of the Dead. Yes, yes. And it, that's one of the things I always love about horror movies is it, it's more reflective of the time. Like when you look at modern horror movies and how it's a lot about like grief and and mental health and through mm-hmm. psychological horror with, you know, like Hereditary or mm-hmm. Babadook or like It Follows or The New Invisible Man even, which is funny to see where that came from. So... Uh, I guess what I wanted to ask is like, what are some of your like favorite horror films from a, a practical effects standpoint and like how you think that they reflect the time that they came out of? That's tough to pair. I mean, my, my hands down favorite of all time is Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Um, it was just the most creative and mind blowing stuff I had ever seen. It is that Dream them, Warriors? But... Yeah. Dream okay. Warriors. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Yet. I mean, just is, the, 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 yeah. Is that the one with the roach? Does it have the roach in it? Where like the no, I think that's the, the that's the fourth or the fifth okay, one. Okay, sorry. They just kept going more yeah. and more balls to the wall <laughs> okay, and okay, crazy yeah. with them. Okay, but the third one really started that with, with the TV and and the yes, the, the yes. dermic needle fingers and, and the, the the human marionette puppet. It, it just got it took oh, such a turn from the first two movies, which were scary but still you know not that fantastical like that uh it just 
will forever be one of my favorites. It, it's probably, you know, along with Return of the Jedi and Ghostbusters, probably one of those seminal films in my brain that turned me on to all this. Jeremy, you were the one who introduced me to that movie. Because I remember we did were in, did we, we have were an Elm Street marathon? We did. Yes, awesome. you made me watch all that. of them back to back. I th- I don't remember what we were doing. Like we were working on bald caps or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, you had me watch all of them in a row, and it was like the two or three days. And you're like, oh, this one's over. Put the next one on. I was like, oh god. <laughs> and then they start like blending into each other around like four and five, and then like six just like fixes everything. And I was like, oh god. But yeah, you were the one who introduced me to that one. That's awesome. I'm so glad. <laughs> when when you think about horror now and like especially like effects and stuff like what are what are some movies that you've seen recently where you're just like blown away by by the effects on it? Oh. <laughs> or none. I, no, I'm there's plenty out there. They just I get to watch so few horror now. Like I've just started again because my kids are finally into it. So Thank I've God. really just been, you know, going full gun again. Um I, you know, my daughter and I, we watched the the Fear Street movies the other day, which had oh some my great god, those good. Okay, there were so many. I was surprised at how enjoyable they were. The the effect in the first one of the woman's head going through the bread slicer is yes. out yeah. of control. It haunted yeah. me for days. <laughs> Could not believe I, I mean, saw that. Was, that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, honestly, I, so much of my attention is focused on TV these days because that's where I do most of my work well, and where yeah. the talk you can talk about that too i am a i like i've said this before i am horrible with new tv like i i've started watching squid game which i love mm. um and if you haven't seen that some amazing effects in it but um yeah i'm, I'm a bad tv person so if yeah if it's tv too you can talk about that too we're in a golden age oh, of television my brother it, mostly yeah, does really tv is. work now too yeah it's and all, all that brilliant practical effects work you know that got shunned out of the movies because executive producers love to fix it in post and why not why shoot it at all if you mm-hmm. fix it all in post all that stuff kind of moseyed over to television land you know uh, walking dead being the most infamous to stick it off with just a features a featured armies armies worth of makeup artists at the helm on every episode for a decade and you know just never never letting up on the quality of what they're putting out um, another one was Nosferatu, not the greatest series, especially compared to the brilliant book, but yeah. the makeup effects work was amazing. Um, and just, you know, you've got this top tier Hollywood talent, not slumming it because that's not the case, but coming down to television where all this creative stuff is now happening, um, as opposed to in the movies where, you know, you know, maybe on, on, you know, the biggest of the big, you're getting to play with some of that stuff still, like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and all the Marvel movies, they still have a uh, impressive amount of tangible, practical makeup effects. But the rest of it, more often than not, they're they're just going VFX because it's quicker and easier on the shooting day than they can worry about it in post. Well, that sucks. It does. I mean, it's it's found a happy medium in the last couple of years. I will definitely give it that. That kind of kicked off with... um the, the last batch of Star Wars films where they started bringing back a lot of the practical stuff because audiences ultimately just got sick of rubber physics and dead-eyed Uncanny Valley. The Uncanny Valley, so. yeah. Well, Jeremy, it's um, really interesting that you bring up, like, you know, how people used to think TV was slumming it, right? And, like, I remember when we were in film school, like, we were in film, you know, our degrees in film and TV, but we're like, oh, the TV kids or whatever. But just <laughs> with the... I feel like since we graduated and just the way that like 
now shooting digitally and being able to have all this streaming, like it has, I feel like it's opened up so many more options. And like, as someone who's not versed in all of this, um, I feel like for me as a viewer, practical special effects, when they're done really well, that ages a lot better than any like, like visual special effects, CGI or whatever. Like I go back and I watch the first Harry Potter and I'm like, God, that CGI looks really shitty. Right. But I'll go. And like, Katie, like when you introduced us to Hellraiser, I was like, Holy shit, this is fucking amazing. And like, I will still be wowed by that. And I don't know, as a viewer, like I buy into it more Mm -hmm. because it feels more real. Because at the end of the day, it's still actually there on set, even if it does look a little cheesy or hokey or maybe shouldn't be showing up on a 4K uh, uh, re-release now. It's still actually there on set. The light is actually hitting it. Shadows are actually hitting it. The actors actually interacting with it. It's all there. I mean, nothing is scarier than the alien queen and aliens because Sigourney Weaver was scared as shit from that, mm-hmm. you know, 18-foot <laughs> tall puppet in front of her. Like, it's there. It's scary. I want to plug one practical effects series that I absolutely loved, which was the Dark Crystal miniseries that was on Netflix. Yeah. Did you watch that, Jeremy? I saw the first couple episodes and just the same as I do with all TV eventually fell off, but it was amazing. Incredible. One of the best things I've seen on TV in years. Actually, I looked up the director of this was involved with the Dark Crystal. He worked with Jim Ooh. Henson for a bit, also on The Muppet Show. But I remember when the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance came out, people were like, oh my God, finally, like practical effects and puppetry. I mean, granted, it was incredibly expensive, which is why they can't do a second season. But Mm -hmm. I mean, to your point, it's like, it's like they're actually there. Like they're actually, those puppets are all interacting with one another. Just really, really awesome stuff. Katie and Ashley, I'm going to make you watch Dark Crystal eventually. Okay. (laughs) I don't know if I've seen the movie. I, 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 it's it's on the list. I watched okay. half of it in a bar when I was in Cincinnati. I was like, what is this? And then I saw uh, David Bowie and the cod piece and the whole thing. I was like, okay. That's Labyrinth. No, That's Labyrinth. That's Labyrinth. Know, but it's connected. It's all, it's all the same. I get it. It's like the time you called Jim Henson John Henson on this podcast. <laughs> that was a brain mess up. That, that, was, a, that was a fight. <laughs> you know, Jeremy, you brought up something really important really key earlier that I didn't, I hadn't really thought about. And this is when I feel like such a shitty film student. Cause I'm like, well, I just like to have for fun. And I worked in LA for a year and now I'm done. Um, but talking about how, when you're doing those practical special effects, like you are working with the DP, right? So you're working with a director on like, what is your vision, but also having to work with like the DP and the lighting and really talking about how, the performers have to sell that. And there really feels like there's so much more interaction. Like I can't imagine what it's like to have to act against CGI and, and really sell it, but to have to, as a performer, as a team, right. Cause filmmaking is, it's a group project, right. To have all of those things come together to make it work so well, like that always blows my mind. Cause I can look at something and be like, Oh, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? But there's so many pieces going new. where you're like, you don't fucking know what's going on to make that so great. Cause you can't fix everything in post. No. Um, I work on this series called evil that I've been on since the pilot and uh, the creature. Love that show. Is, <laughs> a lot of fun. It's one of my top show. Like it's one of my favorite experiences in my almost 20 year career. Um, I work for uh, Joel Harlow. He's a you know Academy Award-winning makeup artist. He used to be Johnny Depp's personal. He's done just every ridiculously amazing movie you could think of. And he we he does the monsters to the show, and I'm I'm on his crew for that. 
And so every monster on the show is one of those full body creature creature suits from it's a creature performer named Marty Matulus and it's just him selling it with our actors and it's all there. Like that's why it works so well because the two of them are there in the room. Like they're just acting off each other. It's one actor just happens to be wearing a full body rubber suit. So cool. Cause in my head, like, I don't think people realize the level of work that goes into those things. I mean, even if it's something as much as like a superficial cut that you put on to, to a full like creature bodysuit, like what is, what is the, let's say I was, I was making a movie and I'm going to commission you to make a, a full creature bodysuit, a full monster. Like what, what goes into that entire process from like the design to like the, the sculpting to casting, like how long does that sort of thing take? Um, I just did one from start to finish this past summer for a movie called Goodnight Mommy, uh, an American remake of, I think it was an Austrian horror film. Um, and we oh, is that, a, we is that a, where the mom gets like the plastic surgery and she comes back yes. with the, okay. All right. All right. That's the one. I saw, I, I, I saw, I saw the, the foreign one, but oh, that's so cool. Okay. Yeah. So I had to do a full body monster. Um, I had to do a full body monster from head to toe. So we had, I, Got a you know a couple of videos of various stunt performers and body movement specialists. I picked my top choice from that. Uh, when production hired her, she came in for a full body life cast. I created a you know a full positive of her, which is just a basically a duplicate of her, but in fiberglass. Um, sculpted on top of that, broke it down into pieces over the course of I want to say six weeks, um, and then finally on the day, all those sculpted pieces get turned into silicone pieces through, you know, 2 a.m. magic of me crying in my shop and molding things. <laughs> um, but me and the, the crew I had in that film doing all the sculpting, all the molding, and then running silicone appliances. And then finally on the day, gluing all that down to Kylie, who then spends 14 to 16 hours moseying around in it and just doing her creepy ass performance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as far as a lot of people on the production, knew as you know they sent me an actor six weeks later they had a monster and that's all they ever think of it in between was hundreds and hundreds of hours of air between three people getting it all to look right ultimately to be you know shot in a pretty dark room and we won't see a whole lot of it because that's just the nature of the beast and keeping something creepy and yeah it's i, I love it <laughs> Wait, so are you on set or is someone on your team on set the day of just in case something happens to do any oh. like last minute fixes? Like that's Absolutely. sounds like pretty yeah. standard. Yeah. I mean, you have to, yeah, it starts with the application. Like it's, you don't want to send these pieces off to someone who hasn't been around for the entire build. If you can avoid it, just because someone that sculpted it and knows how it sits and how it looks is going to be the best bet to put it on and have it look exactly how all the approved designs look and things like that. Um, you know, if I just give it off to a stranger, they're not going to know how this piece tucks and folds and how this one moves under that one and all that. So, yeah, my job starts with the design process and ends with cleaning up the actor at the end of the day. Mm. Like I'm, I'm there for all of it. So if somebody wants to make and sculpt creepy and cool shit and also get to travel, this is a great field for them. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say, like, if someone is like, hey, I really like horror movies. I really, I think, you know, this is something I want to do or like, I'm a good sculptor. Like how should they now with where horror movies are and, or, or horror in general, not just movies, uh, how would you suggest they get into this field? I mean, it's trickier than it used to because it's, there's obviously a lot less of it than there was, but it's, it's, there's still plenty. My advice is always practice 
anatomy, practice characters and creatures, stay away from the blood and gore. Anyone can do blood and gore and make it look good on, on screen. It's the rest of it that'll really sell you as an artist. You know, take photos of your molds, like stuff like that. No one ever sends me that. If I can find someone that some brilliant mold maker, like I, I, I hire them anytime because that's an unsung skill right there. Uh, it's not the most glamorous skill, but it's 100% necessary. Without a well-made mold, all that hard work on the sculpture was for nothing. Um, I really thought you said mole. The, <laughs> no. Making big molds. Okay, Also cool. impressive, but no. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, it was funny. We were speaking of like practice and practicing your skills. I actually have uh, some my old uh, portfolio from when I started with you. And I was looking at it the other day, and it is not good. But um, <laughs> there, uh, I, I did a uh, uh, sculpt on your on your wife, actually, on Holly, where it looked like she has an iron mark, like someone burned her uh -huh. face with an iron mark. It looks awful. But I was like, hey, good job, Katie, thinking outside the box. There you go. <laughs> Graham, Ashley, would you guys watch this movie again? Yeah. Okay. Would, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. I did rewatch it for yeah. this and not just because I like that's the thing that we do, but because it's good and it's creepy. And now that I have learned so much more about it, like I want to go mm -hmm. back and rewatch it. And, you know, we talked about this kind of early on in season one, but I I still want to do more sort of research because I think horror as social commentary is something that if you're not in it, it gets overlooked, right? It's like, oh, it's the gore and the scare and the shock. But but to have both of those pieces, like some of those are really fun to watch. But like, Jeremy, when you mentioned the hypodermic needles, I was like, oh, because war on drugs in the 80s. Oh, OK. Yep. You know, and just thinking about that. And I want to I want to dive more into that. I do want to know before we go. So you mentioned that you have kids and mm -hmm. I have two my my brother's two kids live here. They're they're seven and ten, and we're starting to dip into some horror stuff. Even Clue was a little scary, which like totally <laughs> legit, right? Like when I was a kid, it still kind of freaked me out. But I'm kind of also wondering, since you have kids, what are some of your recommendations for getting younger kids who've expressed interest? Um, you know, once again, shout out Eli and Ivor, love you, buds. Um, like, what would you recommend, or what are some of the things you have watched with your kids that have had some like good reactions or maybe freaked them out a little bit too much. Uh, Stranger Things worked really well. Um, the Gate is one of my all-time PG-13 favorites. You know, it's starring and about kids. It's not, it's scary without being, you know, psychologically traumatizing in any way, shape or form. It's got, you know, everything's okay at the end moment. Um, Gremlins, you know, the first yes. one anyway. It's, it's way creepier than people remember. And it's a Christmas movie, so double duty. Well, and also the sequel is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love the sequel. Yeah. We're apparently a hit. Um, Blair Witch is another one which I don't think had too much. I mean, it was R-rated, but there wasn't too much in the realm of rated R content. Mm -hmm. It's more just a really scary campfire story uh, told in the digital age. But then past that, yeah, you got to start getting into the uh, the more extreme stuff when they're a little bit older. Yeah, we just watched um, we watched Wreck the other day, the Spanish version. I'm mean, obviously it's not for kids, but thinking of like found footage type stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you might be able to Very do short. from from our uh, uh, long kiss goodnight director. You might be able to do Monster Squad. <gasps> yeah, oh my gosh, that was the writer started. Jay Black, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, writer. We, yeah. Duh. We started with Monster Squad and then they were like, we really want to watch Clue because they had listened to our Clue episode. But like, I cannot wait to show them Monster Squad. Bob <laughs> loves that movie. I bought both of us red shirts where the yellow <laughs> says Stephen King rules. So just oh. they say, the, they say the, the F word, the gay F word in that movie a lot. Just oh, yeah, that was like that. We will talk. I was like, oh, I love that. that. Oh, God. Oh, oh cool. my God. No. <laughs> no. Do not Jeremy, love that part. Yeah, Jeremy, I have three questions for you no based on some credits that I saw on IMDb. One is you worked on the movie Noah. Uh, yeah, not in any glamorous capacity. Oh, because I was going to ask if you ask. were ever in the presence of Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I was around Russell Crowe a lot. But I don't okay, think, okay. I don't think she was there. Love her as Just I as do. glamorous. Just love Jennifer Connelly. Secondly, yeah, no, I would my, like- my experience on that was a month in the night getting ripped on by giant rain towers as all the oh, refugees geez. ran towards the ark. Oh boy, that's oh. tough. <laughs> um, I'm curious to hear, you've worked on three episodes of the Maury Povich show? <gasps> what? A long time ago, yes. <laughs> what, what did you do? Yeah, this Maury I don't know either. I mean, they used to do this stuff where they would show abusive husbands and abusive boyfriends oh. what oh. their actions could turn into and they would stage these faux crime scenes photographs oh of, of the women in their lives and that was supposed to be the thing that turned them around and made them perfect amazing men wow. instead of the garbage people they actually were dang it see i was hoping you were gonna be like no i put frank like fake pregnancy tummies on people yeah that's like, what i was saying <laughs> no the fun anecdote over every urinal in the bathroom there was a photo of maury povich which was kind of disconcerting that's that weird. is interesting, but also oh, kind oh, of tracks oh. a bit. Good <laughs> <laughs> morning. Yeah, and, and you mentioned earlier how Jedi and, and Ghostbusters were pretty pretty important to you growing up. I saw mm-hmm. that you also have a you were an uncredited on the new Ghostbusters movie that came out. Uh, the twenty sixteen one. Yeah, I got to do a couple days in the shop for the one practical ghost that was in the film. And even that one was hidden under 20 layers of visual oh, okay. effects in the subway. Uh, my buddies on the former Empire State Effects, they they shut their doors and went their separate ways. But two good friends of mine created that ghost and I got to help them out in the lab with that. So that was a lot of fun. Right. Given that, uh, yeah, given given my history with the franchise personally. But very cool. Very cool. Okay, but I have one more question for Jeremy. Okay. It's just so great. Um, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not in any rush. Like, <laughs> like, like, like I will pay we for whatever got, like, software we need to compress. No, this. bother bother the crap out of him. That's why he's here. <laughs> um Jeremy, have you watched any of the American horror stories? My brother worked on two seasons as an editor, and so I'm always um he was like super psyched when he was first able to work on that. And I'm just wondering, like, for you, from your expertise, what is your thought about that series? I thought the first season was brilliant and terrifying and unlike anything I had ever seen on television before. Um, It's by far my favorite. The rest are kind of hit and miss. I loved, I loved Coven. I enjoyed Freak Show. Um, I got very angry at Roanoke. Is that the one he worked on, Ashley? That's one of the seasons. Oh, okay. <laughs> he wasn't in charge of story person, team. Yeah. He was the editor. So he was I, just trying to yeah, put together the best the for what he was half. given. Once they flipped the format, though, I, I was kind of angry at the at the way, at just the idea that everyone would double up and do this all again at the worst experience of their lives. But say la vie. Um, you know, the makeup effects on every single season of the show is, have always been brilliant. Um, you know, they, they have top 
top tier teams on there and they're all run by uh, a woman I know named Erin Kruger McCash. She's incredible so much so that she evolved into a producer on the shows, um, which is always amazing. That happened with Walking Dead too, where uh, Greg Nicotero went past just makeup effects designer and was so essential to the show, he became one of the producers, which I, I just love that that's a possibility because that, that's that's rare to give the, the makeup artists and makeup designers that much credit and responsibility with the show and to, to acknowledge how truly important the makeup effects are for the particular story that they're telling. All right. So Jeremy, thank you so, so much for joining us and for really just like helping us geek out about stuff. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug of things you're working on now or what's coming out in the future or anything that our listeners should check out that, that you're super proud of? Um, the series evil seasons one or one and two are on Paramount plus. We go into production on season three uh, this November, which I'm super excited about. A um, couple movies coming out in the not too distant future. Good night, mommy. Something's wrong with Rose. Both a pair of uh, really trippy, creepy horror films that I got to do a lot of fun things for. Um, that's that's the current slate, though. That's awesome. I'm totally. I'm definitely definitely watching Good Night, Mommy because mm-hmm. like the the foreign version was so like unnerving. Uh, I and the, I mean, aside from that, you're involved with it because duh. But uh, that's that's great. Okay, yeah. So we can talk a bit about what we'll be doing for next week or two weeks from now because we're going to be two weeks next week. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yep. We're going to be starting a new theme. Mm-hmm. Whoop. Whoop, yes. Whoop. And our new theme. Uh, you've heard us talk a lot about them. We're having some special guests. Uh, they've influenced our lives. We are each bringing on a sibling. <gasps> We're each bringing on a sibling to talk about a movie that was important to us growing up. And I think next next week we're starting with my sibling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Graham, when you point at the screen, I don't oh, know. Sorry. If you're um the visual media but we're all in different styles yes Yes. uh so yes we'll be we'll be starting with with my sibling my brother zach's gonna come on the show and we are going to talk about tombstone which i'm so excited to talk about never seen it but i know there's a lot of hunky men in it so i'm excited there sure are you're gonna you're gonna love it you're gonna love it it's like peak val kilmer uh amazing kurt russell like the it's fantastic we've watched it 10 million times you love love it love amazing facial hair i'm gonna nerd out and eat tombstone pizza while watching tombstone but i won't eat while we record i mean you could get better pizza i mean at least do no 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 No. even bob often says like even bad pizza is still pizza so actually what do you want on your tombstone they've they've pepperoni people who say that have never had raised pizza so all right (laughs) all right anyway um so yeah we'll be we'll be talking about tombstone with my with my brother but thank you all so much for listening jeremy thank you so much for coming on the show absolute pleasure and uh yeah we will see you all in two weeks Bye. bye 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 Let Me Introduce You is a podcast hosted by Graham Veth, Katie Kubert, and Ashley Crone. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Make sure to follow the Let Me Introduce You podcast on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod and on Twitter at Let Me Intro You.